0: things that you and I should value as the church, things that are essential values, things that should be a desire in our heart, things that we should hold dear, things that should be considered essential for us in the church. Now that means individually, because the church is those who are saved in Christ, number one, recognizing that, that the church isn't just what happens here, it's not even everybody who meets in this room, I don't know, I hope that every one of you sitting here is saved in Christ and a part of the church, but that's not a guarantee. Only you know before God if that's where you're at, if you were actually born into his church by salvation through Christ. But the church is a greater uh, uh, body than what we see here. The the church, when we talk about, uh, as we talk about unity today and those kind of things, talking about unity, when we are in unity with the body of Christ, that's not just here, that's with Uh, Every church in this town where there are people that are saved, every person across this country that is saved on the other side of the world, we are united with a body that is beyond what we see here. Now, these are things that are essential to God's church, his universal church, those who are saved in Christ. These are things that should be the desire of our heart above everything else. These are the things that we should value. Now he starts again in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The Amplified Bible says it this way, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal to you and beg you to walk or lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. Now, he's talking about living a life worthy of the calling. Now, the the word calling, or the King James Version, Translate that as, translates that as vocation means a uh, calling is always used in the New Testament of that calling, the origin, nature, and destiny of which are heavenly, the idea of invitation being applied, it is used especially of God's invitation to man to accept the benefits of salvation. Now he says, the calling that he has received, the calling that we receive, the origin. Or, or the, the origin, nature, and destiny are heavenly. Now, that means that the origin of the calling that people have received originated in the heart of God, that God would look on the sinfulness of humanity, their destitution, their need for a Savior, and he didn't just sit back and say, well, they're getting exactly what they deserve. But in his heart of sacrificial love, he looked on us in divine compassion and pity, and sent his son to do something about us that, that we might be invited back into pre- his presence to have fellowship and peace with God. That's what he is saying here is the origin of our calling begins in heaven, in the heart of God. Now he says the nature of the calling is heavenly. That means that uh, practical life or the maintenance of our calling is all heavenly, practical living. We get our guidance as to how we should live here from the heart of God, the wisdom that God has revealed to us. We've talked over the last few weeks about Proverbs, about how it is giving us wisdom to understand how to live here. So the wisdom of God is revealed from his heart, from his nature to you and I. He has not left us, again, to ourselves to wander through this earth, but the nature of our calling is understood by the wisdom that comes from God. The maintenance of that calling, uh, pursuing God, the... the uh, Uh, understanding that we grow in him, him transforming us to reflect more and more who he is, the origin of the maintenance of the call or the practical living, all of that comes from the heart of God. And he says that the destiny of the calling is a heavenly destiny. Obviously, everything that we are experiencing now, the work that God is doing in us is leading us to a certain destination stand in his presence. As we know that Christ, when he was leaving, his disciples said, if I go now, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come back to take you to where I am. So the point is that everything that you and I receive, the calling from God back to his presence, every bit of that is from God in his goodness and his love toward us. It is not of ourselves. There's no way that we can possibly maintain that relationship or calling in ourselves, every bit of it is from the divine mercy and pity of God that looks on our helplessness and provides us everything, as the Bible says, that is necessary for life and godliness. It all comes from God the Father. Now, Paul's exhortation to live a life worthy of the calling or invitation for them to peace and fellowship with the Lord himself that they would live a life that is worthy of the opportunity that they have to dwell in God's presence and to enjoy all the benefits of walking with God. Now, he says again, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The exhortation is in light of all that the apostle had reminded them of in the previous chapters. If you go through the book of Ephesians, and you read through it, you will see that the first three chapters are him just outlining all of these things that God has given to humanity, all of the benefits of walking with God. We see in chapter 1, it says that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, 1 verse 5, it says that we are adopted as sons through Christ. Verse 7, redemption and forgiveness is by uh, of sins is by God's grace. Verse 19 in chapter 1, uh, it talks about God's incomparably great power for us who believe. Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, because of God's great love for us, because of his mercy, he has made us alive even when we were dead in transgressions. Starting in verse 11 in chapter 2, it says, Christ has brought those who were separated from God to peace and unity with God. Verse 19, in Christ we are no longer... Uh, foreigners to God, but fellow citizens and members of God's house. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, it says God is able to do for us more than we can ask or imagine because of his power that is has worked within us. So the whole book so far, the whole letter that he had written to the church in Ephesus so far, he's outlining for them all of these benefits of walking with God. None of them are based on the people's merit. Every bit of these things is from the sacrificial love that is the heart of God. So now he gets to this place then in chapter 4 where he distinctly turns from that which is to be believed to that which ought to be done by those who are beneficiaries of the Lord's blessing. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You see, the point of this is that our life ought to be lived in light of all of the things that we re- have received by the Father. Our life to be, it should be lived in light of and motivated by the mercies that we have received. We see this in different places. Throughout the Word of God, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The New King James says it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what he is saying is that it is reasonable because of all the things that you have received from God, all of the things that he has given you, not because you deserve it, but because of his goodness alone, because of all of these things, it is reasonable then that your response is to offer your whole being, every part of your, your thoughts, your actions, your desires, your intentions in life, your affections, every bit of those things would be offered to him, that he would do whatever he would with all of your energy, all of your desires, all of your intentions, everything that you have. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice because of all that he has done it is reasonable then that you would offer him everything that you have Uh, again verse 1 it says as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received Young's uh, literal translation says that this way, I then the prisoner for the master's sake entreat you to live and act as becomes those who have received the call that you have received. See, the call that you and I have received is a call of redemption. The call that we have received is a call to fellowship with God. The call that we have received is to be his representatives here in this earth. What he is saying is because of this call, because God in his goodness has called you to these things, be careful and attentive that your life may reflect or your life may show that you are worthy of what God has offered you. Now, that's not saying that You see, there's a fine line here, because none of this is about us. Our work doesn't gain us salvation. Our goodness doesn't gain us salvation. But you see, the point of salvation is that God would take what is broken within me and restore it, that it would reflect no longer my sinful nature, but that it would reflect who he is. Salvation that we receive isn't just a one-time thing and then God's done with us. The salvation we receive is an invitation to God's table that we may sit with Him. And as we sit with Him at His table and have communion and fellowship with Him, the inevitable result of that, what necessarily follows, is the transformation of my heart that I would reflect then who He is. See, that transformation in itself is not by anything that I have done. In that, then, there's nothing that I can do to gain salvation. But God's work continues in me and I have to make a decision as to what I'm going to value in my life. Am I going to value what God actually wants to do in me? Am I going to value the freedom that God offers me? Am I going to value... Number one, recognize the sinfulness of my heart. When you truly gain salvation, when you truly walk in Him, and you see the devastation of sin, you begin to value the things that God offers you because it is fully opposed to the devastation of sin. It brings life where sin brings death you see, the point of this is that as God is at work in me, revealing to me the nature of the world around me, including sin and the life that is available in him, when he reveals that to me, it changes my desires and affections. I no longer offer my affections and desires to the things that bring death and sin, but my desires and affections are offered to the things that would bring life. You see, salvation is not dependent on me, but my walking in God and the access I give him to my heart that he might be able to change my heart because he won't force that. That is dependent on what I do. That is dependent on the things that I choose to set before me, the things that I choose to spend my money on, the things that I choose to listen to. All of those things then affect what God does in my heart. It says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, we're going to look at the characteristics of worthy living. Again, starting in verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, we're going to go through and define a lot of these words that we see in verse 2. And it's important that we understand the language that the Bible uses because a lot of times uh, we see certain words that mean something in our culture, but at that time or when they translated it and used that word, it meant a lot more than it does to us today sometimes. So it's important sometimes that when we read the Word of God that we actually study the words that are used to understand what did this mean when they used this word. Now, in the beginning, he says, Be completely... Uh, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Now, humble means to uh, the having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, modesty, humility, lowliness of mind, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Andrew Murray said something along the lines of... Uh, That humility is the foundation or the soil from which every Christian virtue grows. It's the foundation of all of it. So what does that mean? Humility is the recognition that I have nothing in myself. That I am fully in need of God in every way. That I am fully destitute. I have nothing in myself. When I finally realize that, then everything that God offers me is able to grow and to bear fruit in my life. You see, all of the things that God calls us to to love, to uh, be a peacemaker, to be meek, all of those things, those things can't have any effect in me as long as I am proud and think more highly of myself than I should. You see, if there's anything within me that thinks that I have power to work hard enough to gain salvation, none of those other Christian virtues will ever mean anything in my life. If there's anything in me that thinks that I should be more highly esteemed than other people, then you can be sure that Christian love or the ability to be a peacemaker or meekness, those things mean nothing in me. But when I finally realize that I am fully in need of God, Every single day and every moment, all that I have is what he offers me spiritually. When I recognize that, then the sacrificial love of God can be at work in my heart. Then the ability to to call people to peace in a moment where there's just conflict or to not be the person who somebody comes to you to, to stir up conflict. I can say to the person, you know, I don't need to hear, I don't need to hear this. Or maybe it's something you do need to hear, but hey, let's not just rip the person down. What are we going to do? How can we help the person? You see, because too often we stop short in all these situations. There are times as Christians where we have to talk about difficult things. But too often we stop short and our conclusion is, how do I tell this person they're wrong? And our motivation is not to see a person restored or see a person gain greater life or see a person gain greater hope or understanding of who God is. You see, any time that we have to deal with something, any time that I have to, there are times I might have to talk to somebody about something in the life of another person, but it shouldn't be motivated by me just wanting to know information about somebody so I can think negatively of them, but so that I can understand how do I encourage, how do I lift somebody up, how do I lift this person to God in prayer? You see, humility is recognizing that I am fully destitute and in need of God. And this person, whatever they have done, they are in the, in the same place as I am. They might not recognize it, but my goal should be to see them walk into the life of God. Humility is recognizing that I am destitute and in need of God. And in that then, the love of God, the peace of God, the meekness of God, all of those things are able to work in my life. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Now, the word gentle, uh, in the translation, it can, it can mean gentle or meek. Depends what Bible translation you're reading. It means to be mild of temper, soft or gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, yielding, given to forbearance under injuries, submissive to the divine will of God, not proud, self-sufficient or obstinate. It says, be completely humble and gentle or meek. And in that then, given to forbearance under injuries, You see, the meekness of God that He instills in my heart allows me to be injured by others, but I'm not prone to react out of anger. You see, my disposition is to respond out of the life that God has given me. Again, recognizing the elementary truth that I have injured God by my sin. That I have turned from Him. That I have... How many times have we done things and it's like a slap in the face to God because we know full well that what we just did or said was totally wrong. And we didn't care because well, I, I, this is what I want to do. You see, when I finally recognize, let me say it this way, uh, Oswald Chambers said, when we realize that Jesus Christ has served us to the end of our meanness, our selfishness and sin, nothing that we meet from others can exhaust our determination to serve men for his sake. When I finally recognized that before Christ, I was absolutely mean, I was absolutely selfish, When I realize that I can serve others for His sake, it's not that I condone or accept those things in others, but it's the recognition of every human's need for a Savior because that was my need. It's not that I'm just accepting and making excuses for that in other people, but my motivation should be to see them come to know the hope that is in Christ or actually walk in that because that is what is necessary for me. You see, without that, at some point, you can be sure, again, that you would be mean or selfish. Now, you might think that you're a good person, and to a lot of people, you might be. But at some point in your life, you will elevate yourself beyond other people. Meekness or gentleness is the understanding that I don't have to be the one that's highly esteemed all the time that even though somebody might have injured me by their words, that I can have the peace of Christ and still respond in a way that reflects the nature of who He is, not my desire to hurt someone else. I remember one time, uh, I remember one time that uh, there was a conversation and someone was asking if if they were allowed to respond biblically, if it was okay to respond a certain way to someone because it was what they were saying is true. Just because something is true doesn't make it right the way we say something. You see, we can speak truth, but if my desire is to injure the person, then it is absolutely sinful on my part. Even though what I said is true. The disposition of my heart still affects the things that come out of my mouth. Whether those words in themselves are true or not, my motivation can bring life to that truth or can bring destruction through that truth. Now, we have to speak truth at all times, but what I'm telling you is that the condition of our heart matters, whether we are proud or whether we are gentle and meek. You see, we have to highly value that God would make us to be people who are meek. Now, a lot of people think that being meek leads to becoming weak. Uh, or when you think of a person who is weak, you, a lot of people think of somebody who is timid and just kind of sits back and uh, uh, takes a lot of things from a lot of people. That is not at all what the Bible is talking about when it talks of meekness. Uh, one commentary I was reading talked about it this way. Meekness does not identify the weak, but more precisely the strong who have been placed in a position of weakness where they persevere without giving up. The use of the Greek word when applied to animals makes this clear, for it means tame. When applied to wild animals, in other words, such animals have not lost their strength, but have learned to control the destructive instincts that prevent them from living in harmony with others." You see, so the idea that the Bible is getting at when it tells us that we should be meek is not that God wants to take anything from me. He, don't, he doesn't want to take my confidence or my boldness or my strength. But he wants to bring all of those things under the control of his spirit that he would weed out the destructive tendencies that come along with some of those abilities at times. There are people that are confident and have a great way with words, but they can actually absolutely destroy somebody with their words. You see, there's times God doesn't want to take away their ability or boldness or confidence with words. He just wants to bring it under control that it wouldn't bring destruction to others, but it would live in harmony with others and then be able to speak truth in a way that would establish people. Encourage them and lift them up and not destroy them. This is what meekness is. It is bringing all of our faculties, all of our strength, all of our abilities under the control of God to be used then for his purpose. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now again, the word translated means patient or long-suffering. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon lexicon gave this definition, patience or endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, especially shown in bearing troubles and ills, long-suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs. It says be patient, bearing one another in love. Be slow in avenging wrongs. See, they might bear one another in love. Persevere, especially shown in bearing troubles and ills. You see, patience or long suffering should characterize our interactions with one another. This is essential to the church, this is something that we should value. You see, my reaction when somebody speaks to me shouldn't be to assume that they meant the worst. Sometimes there are things that we say, right, and we, we intend it to come across one way, but maybe somebody takes it away that we didn't mean it. That happens. You see, my reaction when I'm on the receiving end of that should not be to immediately assume that the person meant the worst of what I think that they might have meant. or even if they did, that my disposition towards them should be characterized by long-suffering. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes through and he defines what love is. <clears throat> he says all of the dispositions that characterize love and... uh in the King James Version, they use the word charity. It still means love or the sacrificial love of God. They just use that word in translation, but it says charity suffers long or love suffers long. Now, for me, sometimes maybe it's just me, but I can read things. and I, I like to read different Bible translations to compare things just because for me, words jump out in different ways sometimes. Now, when I read that in the King James Version, the way that they trans. Translated that, that took on such a more, in, such a greater intensity of meaning. Seeing the words charity or love suffers long. It's totally different than a lot of the other translations say. Love is patient, it means the same thing, but for me to see those words suffers long, that tells us that to sacrificially love other people. Number one, I might have to suffer. You see, the sacrificial love of God is based and characterized by suffering at times. Surely, we believe that Christ suffered when he was hanging on the cross for us. Surely, we believe that Christ suffered when he was beaten for us. You see, the same God who sent Christ to suffer for us, the Bible says that he pours his love into our hearts. And at some point, our love, if it is sacrificial, will be characterized by suffering. And suffering long. You see, I might have to suffer for a long time at some point to see the purpose of God fulfilled in somebody might have to suffer long in praying for somebody. You see, there's a lot of times that we pray for somebody for a couple weeks and then we just kind of forget about it. God didn't do anything. I can't remember who at this point or any of the details. It was a long time, long time ago I read about this, but there was a woman that prayed for three people every single day for 33 years. After all that time, every one of them came to know Christ. Now, do you think in that time, 33 years every single day, at some point that she was suffering while lifting them up to God, at some point there was some suffering in her heart that allowed her to persevere, that she had to persevere through suffering to lift them up to God? You see, our love at some point is going to be characterized by suffering. I think a lot of times in our culture we recoil from suffering. We have to recognize that to be completely patient in bearing with one another in love means that I'm going to have to suffer for you at some point and you're going to have to suffer for me at some point. But when I do that, when we do that together, we don't consider that a burden. We consider the suffering for somebody else's sake as worthy of the calling that I have received from God. That's what he says here. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. What characterizes that calling? Being completely patient and bearing with one another in love. At some point, living worthy of the calling means that I'm going to have to suffer the same way that Christ suffered in love for other people. Um, again starting in verse 2 he says be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love see then the apostle goes on to say that we ought to in verse 3 make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace make every effort means to be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Have an intense effort towards keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, the first thing that we have to recognize is that unity comes from the Spirit of God. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, unity is not a matter of us all just deciding that we're going to do the same thing. That's uniformity. That's not what the Bible is talking about. You see, we can make a decision that we're going to be in the same room together. We can make the decision that we're going to do certain things as the church. We're going to do all these things together. But that doesn't mean at all that you and I are in unity together. We can even get along together and not have any arguments. That doesn't mean that we are united together. The unity that the Bible is talking about is the unity that comes from the Spirit of God. So uniformity means the quality or fact of being the same or of not changing or being different in any way. Now what the Bible is talking about is unanimity, being in accord or agreement or concurrence. Uniformity comes from outward pressure to conform. Unanimity comes from the inward desire to reflect the values of God. Understand the difference. Uniformity comes from when we receive pressure to all do the same things and think the same things and do the same things in the same way. That's not what the Bible calls us to at all. He calls the body of Christ to be fully diverse, not in the essential doctrines, doctrines that we hold. Those are the things that we rally around. But my, my thoughts are different than this person's thoughts. My opinions might be different than this person's opinions. The things that I like to do might be different than this person's. That doesn't mean anything in the church. doesn't matter what color you are, what the color of your skin are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. None of those things that our society looks on None of those things matter. You see, what matters is the disposition of my heart that the Spirit of God gives me to be concerned about the things that God is concerned about, to reflect the heart of Christ. Those are the things that bind His church together. The salvation that we receive in Christ being first and foremost. You see, at some point we have to understand that even as the church, we can disagree about things. This is one of the things, I think, too, that, that our culture has a problem with today. I said uh, the last couple of weeks that there's nothing left for a culture when we can't agree on the most fundamental things of humanity there's nothing left for a culture when we can't agree on things like what is a man or what is a woman but you see the more i think about it what is what makes that considerably worse is the fact that we can't even have a discussion about it that's a problem you see at times in the church we're going to disagree on things because we have different personalities just the way it is There is nothing wrong with us discussing things that we disagree on. But what matters in those conversations is what characterizes my heart. Am I characterized by gentleness, meekness? Am I characterized by patience and long-suffering love? Meaning that we might walk away from a conversation and still not agree on something, but I still absolutely love you in the name of Christ. We have to fight against, as the church, the way that the culture is having discussions. Because what happens now is if you don't agree, you are demonized. We have to fight against that as the church. We cannot function that way as the church. Now, I'm not telling you that we should be accepting of doctrinal things that are essential Those things do put a wedge between us. Understand this also, that unity comes from the Spirit. The moment that I step outside of what the Spirit of God is doing in me, the moment that I am not walking in the Spirit any longer, I have removed myself from unity. There are certain things that absolutely we cannot budge on. But I'm talking about generally in the church, we have to be able to talk together and be characterized by gentleness, meekness, and patience. Almost done. Um, Each of us has to to be in unity. Each individual member has to be looking off to Christ. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. What he is saying is that you and I can try as hard as we can to organize unity but it will never exist unless each individual member is looking off to the standard, Christ. When each individual member looks at him and keeps their eyes focused there, we are then in unity. It's not something that I have to organize or orchestrate. It happens necessarily. It necessarily follows the disposition of my heart to fix my eyes on Christ. Unity is something that we should guard and earnestly endeavor to sustain in the church among brothers and sisters in Christ. The worship team can come up as we begin to close this morning. Verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, it's something that we should highly value and be on guard against anything that would begin to destroy unity. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. What this means practically for you and I is that it should be something that characterizes my involvement in the church. That when I am involved in the church, my desire is to walk in gentleness, in meekness, in patience, that I might bear the burdens of others, that I might bear sometimes the injuries that come from being in a relationship with others. We've got to make it a point to guard what we have been called to. He says all of this then Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Also, I have to have a peace-loving spirit. You see, I should be a person who is characterized by loving peace. The Bible says, blessed are those who are peacemakers. See, all of the things that we are talking about, these are the things that are essential values in the church. If we are to ever be effective, it will be as we are characterized by living a life that is worthy of the calling we've received. If we are ever to be effective, it is happen as we are characterized by gentleness and patience, sacrificial love, bearing with one another in love and loving peace. Now, when I talk about, this, the last thing I'll say, when I talk about being effective for God, I'm not talking about just going into the world and getting a bunch of people to come to our church. You see, because we could grow to be a church of 200 or 300 or Five or a 1,000 or 15,000. If we're not characterized by these things, then we're not effective. What I'm talking about is right now, today, yeah, we want to be a part of what God's doing in the future, absolutely, but too, time, too many times we're looking off to the future and forgetting what God wants to do in me right now, today. If we're to be effective in encouraging one another, we have to be characterized by these things. If we want to be effective for our kids, that they would grow up and know God, we got to be characterized by these things. I have to fight against the culture's uh, uh, way of having discussions where immediately when we don't agree on something, we demonize the other person. That shuts down the conversation. I win and you lose if I can make you sound worse we got to fight against that. If we are to be effective in what we are doing right here today, we need to be characterized by the things that are outlined in God's Word. If we are to be effective in our culture, we have to be characterized by the things that we see in God's Word. If we are to be effective in our community, whatever you can think of, for us to be an actual true representative of God, we have to represent God be characterized by the things that are outlined in his word. These things are essential. They're non-negotiable. And if we are to be united in him, it will come as we are gentle, patient, bearing one another's burdens, as we are meek, sacrificially loving each other, suffering long. God, we thank you today for the opportunity again to be in your house, to be assembled as your body, and for your word, it gives us understanding of how we should live here. Father, help our lives to be characterized by all of the things that Your Word has outlined. Father, that as we live a life that is worthy of the calling, that we would do so motivated by a true understanding of the mercy that we receive we would do so as out of an understanding of all the benefits that we receive by walking with you. Father, help us to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient bearing with one another in love. Help us daily to make it a priority to keep the unity that comes from your Spirit and to be people that love peace. Father, bind us together. Thank you for all that you have done and all you will do as we walk with you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.